Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do credit Green Bay Packers. And we don't credit anything else. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, September 13th, and today we are previewing the Packers-Falcons Week 2 matchup taking place in Atlanta, and we have plenty of things to discuss. So we're going to jump right in, talking about injury report, storylines on the Packers side of things. David Bakhtiari, he did not participate on Wednesday with a knee injury slash vet rest day. Romeo Dobbs was limited with a hamstring. Rashawn Gary limited with a knee. Elton Jenkins also limited with a knee. And then Anthony Johnson Jr. was a full participant with a knee. Aaron Jones, he did not participate with a hamstring injury. Quay Walker also did not participate with a concussion. And then Christian Watson, lastly, did not participate as well with a hamstring, just like Aaron Jones just like Romeo Dobbs. On the Falcons' side, linebacker Troy Anderson did not participate with a concussion. Calais Campbell did not participate with a vet rest day for him. Jeff Okuda was limited with a foot injury. Cordell Patterson, a full participant with a thigh. And then Jonu Smith did not participate, and it was a vet rest day for Jonu Smith. So looking specifically at the Packers' injuries, Christian Watson, we talked you know, about it last week. He talked briefly on Monday today. He said, you know, he was running a route. He caught a ball and just felt something in his hamstring. Said it's not quite the same as his hamstring injury last year. He says it is the same hamstring, but, quote, not the same thing, not the same place. In terms of playing this week, he said the chances are obviously, quote, much better this week than last, but he knew late in last week that he couldn't play on that Sunday and, as of right now, he's still taking things day to day. That was the Monday update. Interviewed today, he said, quote, you know, I'm just trotting along and, you know, it's a hamstring strain. The body's taking the natural course. He said that whenever he feels 100%, that's when he'll be ready to go. He'll be out there. Obviously, I mentioned it. He was not practicing today, but good news. It was reported that he was off to the side with the trainer. He was doing agility work, jogging, catching passes, all with a helmet on. That's a lot more than he did last week. That's a good sign. So yeah, the fact that he was in the rehab section doing all that, good sign. Quay Walker, also in the rehab section. Now he has a concussion and that sucks for Quay. He's still in concussion protocol. But the fact that he, just like Watson, was out there rehabbing hopefully means that Quay will be back this week. Um, assuming he clears protocol. If he doesn't clear protocol this week, he'll be back almost certainly the week after. And then Aaron Jones, the last sort of big injury news, not participating with a hamstring injury. Now, Matt said that they'd give Aaron, you know, the course of the week before making any determination. Obviously not great that he didn't practice, and with both him and Christian injured, we're definitely gonna need to find some sort of playmaking somewhere and even if jones plays he'll be on a pitch count as will christian i would assume so playmaking needs to come from somewhere as of right now you're just hoping one of aaron jones and christian can go and then bakhtiari i mean feels like i'm just gonna mention it because at this point i don't know who doesn't know it but i'm gonna say it again and again and again 
I'm not concerned about the fact that David Bakhtiari didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday or hell, even Friday. I'm not sure how you could take anything away from Bakhtiari's practice habits at this point. He didn't practice last week. He hadn't practiced for something like two weeks going into the game yesterday, or not yesterday, on Sunday, and he went out and played like an all-pro. He is so good, he really doesn't need to practice. So he's not going to practice this week. Maybe he'll practice one day, but... I assume he's going to be out there Sunday, and I assume he's going to look like all-pro level David Bakhtiari. In other news, Packers, they signed Michael Jordan. No, not the former NBA best player of all time. A guard from the Carolina Panthers. They signed Michael Jordan to their practice squad and released tight end Austin Allen. I'm kind of surprised they released Allen. He looked not bad in the preseason, but he's been released. They brought in Michael Jordan. Not too much to say there. Another little piece of news that a lot of people found a little bit interesting, the Yash Nyman contract was restructured. So they spread out Nyman. I think they added something like four void years to Nyman's contract. So spread out his cash a little bit, gave themselves some some cap room this year. Maybe they're making room for a Rashawn Gary extension. That was floating around a little bit. You'd have to love that. I mean, maybe Goot was hesitant about signing Gary in the offseason because he's like, you know, Gary's coming back from a pretty major ACL injury. Well, Gary looked phenomenal on Sunday. So I don't, I mean, at this point, I basically hand Gary a blank check and say, sign the dotted line, please. We want you on this team. And then the last little bit of news, Aaron Rodgers, very sad news. He, in his first start for the New York Jets, just, you know, four or five plays in, bootleg, rolling out to, I want to say the right gets tackled, brought down, and you can see in the replay, he tears his Achilles. He is confirmed at this point out for the season, has already been placed on the IR, and man, it just sucks for Aaron. Now, I don't think his career's over. He posted on Instagram something like, from the, before the dawn, there is darkest, he posted something about the darkest night and how he'll rise again. Um, So it it sounds like, you know, he's definitely going to be coming back and playing, not surprising at all, but it just sucks that his season before really it even got started is going to be over. From a Packers standpoint, it means that the Packers are going to get a second round pick from the Jets. They're not going to get the first round pick because Aaron Rodgers is not going to get to that 65% snap mark. So that's definitely too bad. Um, But I mean, really, it just sucks for Aaron Rodgers. It's a it's. It's a lose, 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 lose all around. Jets fans lose because they don't get to see Aaron Rodgers play quarterback for their team. Packers fans lose because they don't get that first round pick. The NFL loses because you don't get to see Rodgers play quarterback for the Jets, which would surely be a fascinating, fascinating thing. So all of that just sucks. And I hope, you know, he recovers fully. That's basically all you can hope for at this point. With that, with all that news out of the way, we're going to move on to the Packers-Falcons game. And sort of looking at this game overall, it's a very, very, very intriguing matchup because it's a matchup between two teams that people are pretty unsure what to make of. The Falcons, since Arthur Smith took over as the head coach back in 2021, they've been a mediocre to bad team. They, However, because they've been mediocre to bad, have continued adding talent to their team year over year. 2021, I want to say, was when they drafted Kyle Pitts. Last year, they drafted the top running back by a mile in college football in B. John Robinson. And now they find themselves with a second-year quarterback in Desmond Ritter, who people are unsure what to make of. 
a relatively new defense with, however, free agent signings like Jesse Bates that make it look quite a bit better. They have cornerback A.J. Terrell, who really is bordering on an all-pro at this point, a very, very good cornerback. And most of all, they have a love for running the football still. Now, there's not too much film on Atlanta. And sure, Desmond Ritter played, you know, a tiny bit at the end of last year. And we've seen Arthur Smith's run game before, but it's a new year for them offensively. Desmond Ritter is going to look different after another offseason of development. And on defense, they look very, very different. I mentioned the free agent signings. They also look completely different from a scheme standpoint. They're showing all kinds of looks against the Panthers last week. They just gave up 10 points. They were showing all sorts of interesting coverage tactics. Really, they were they took a lot of people off guard in terms of how impressive their defense looked. And because of everything that they were showing from a scheme standpoint, I would guess that as we go in, Jordan's going to need to be doing a lot of work from a mental standpoint. He's going to be need he's going to need to be doing all of the holding defenders with his eyes. He was very good at that. He's been very good at that really this year in the preseason, in the regular season, we saw, you know, the no-look pass almost to Jaden Reed against the Bears. We're going to need to see a lot more of that because the Falcons are going to be trying to trick Jordan and we need Jordan you know, not to fall to their tricks. He's going to need to be able to adjust projections to get things sorted out at front. All of that's going to be very, very important. Now, similarly to the Falcons, there's not a lot of film on Green Bay, right? Last week was the first real unveiling of the Jordan Love-Matt LaFleur offense. So like with Atlanta's defense, you've really only got one week worth of film to study if you're the Falcons. And by the way, Green Bay, like the Falcons, put a crap ton of film on film. They put a huge amount out there. You had the Packers running pistol formations, running sweeps, tosses, power runs. You had them going under center, running bootlegs from there with a little throwback screen to Aaron Jones. You had a super bizarre formation. This one was kind of making the rounds on Twitter. It was like a double tight pistol where you have the quarterback in the gun, something like four yards behind the line of scrimmage, the running back behind him, and then to his right or left, in this case, I believe it was to his left, you, you have a little fullback tight end lined up. And so that's that's a double tight pistol where you have almost a triangle of Jordan and then behind him, Aaron Jones, and then to his left, making a triangle, um, approximately isosceles, I think it was Josiah DeGuara. But then in addition to that, you had an extra tight end, I want to say Ben Sims, who was lined up just behind the outside foot of David Bakhtiari, because why the heck not? I mean, it was a it's a super bizarre formation. Matt LaFleur put all kinds of things like that out there on tape. And in general, the Packers offense showed a bunch of a bunch of things that the league hasn't seen before. Rookies, right? A bunch of rookies had a, a bunch of big plays. Luke Musgrave, he shined. He showed a lot more blocking from him than sort of we ever expected, especially in the first week. Dontavion Wicks, rookie who was pretty much injured for all the preseason, he was getting open every play. So the Falcons defense, just like the Packers offense, has a lot of tape that they're gonna need to comb through and then again, at the same with the same token, not a lot of tape to comb through because it's only one game, but there's a lot to cover in that one game. The Falcons defense, they've only got really one game to look at for Green Bay's offense, but there's a lot to comb through. 
in that one game. On the defensive side, the Packers also showed a crap ton on film, and Joe Barry revealed more than we've ever seen him reveal. He actually started doing things to get pressure with his defensive line, and both these teams, the Falcons and the Packers, they had fun wins in Week 1. They showed a lot of potential. Falcons, 24-10 over the Panthers, ran the ball well. Defense showed out. Packers, 38-20. to Offense was clearly very good. Defense showed a lot of potential. Week 2 is going to be a challenge for both of them, and I think it's going to be an interesting litmus test to see exactly where the two are. Now, with that out of the way, let's move on to my offensive notes for this game. So the first offensive note I have is run, run, run the freaking football. And I've been watching this Falcons defense the last two days, going through their film from the Atlanta game. And I I said it before, one of the things that they're so good at or were so good at against the Panthers was disguising looks, making things tough on quarterbacks. And the solution is, I mean, sure, you can expect your quarterback to go out there and win. That's probably not the best solution. Another solution is help your young quarterback and you can help him with motion and clearing things out and getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And I'm sure Matt will do that. Or you can just get the ball out of his hands altogether and hand it to your running backs. And Atlanta, yeah, they have a good secondary, a defensive line that was very, very good. Last week got 15 pressures against a weak Carolina offensive line, but they still allowed Carolina to run for over 130 yards. And this week, Green Bay is going to need to lean into their ground game, not only because I think they can have success against that Atlanta front, but because it's going to make life a lot easier on Jordan, getting the ball out of his hands. And if Aaron Jones is healthy, that seems pretty clear. You just kind of hand it off to Aaron Jones a lot and yards will come. A.J. Dillon, he's going to get carries either way. It's up to him to, you know, run over people, pick up yards. But then hopefully, if Jones is out, we're going to get to see some of Emmanuel Wilson because Emmanuel Wilson has a burst that A.J. Dillon simply doesn't have. And I want that in our running back spot. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. But beyond sort of the running backs, the thing that will make that will make or break the Packers running game in this matchup is the offensive line. And that's sort of the reality. There's three guys along the offensive line that I trust are going to block their freaking asses off. And that's David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Zach Tom. Now, Zach Tom, second-year guy, but if you said, hey, which Packers player made like made the leap, which, which second-year guy clearly is just much improved from his rookie year, there's a lot of guys you could talk about. I mean, Christian Watson hasn't gotten on the field yet, but I expect he's going to look phenomenal when he's out there. Romeo Dobbs, he looks awesome. But Zach Tom looks the best. Zach Tom looks like, I mean, dare I say a Pro Bowl level right tackle. He looks so freaking good. He was Andy Herman's highest graded player for the Packers last week. He was PFF's highest graded player for the Packers last week on offense. He looks so stunningly unbelievable that it's just awesome to see. On the other side of the line... David Bakhtiari also looks awesome. And Elton Jenkins, of course, he looks awesome. So I pretty much trust those guys at at this point. And they're going to keep blocking their tails off. And as a result, the Packers will definitely find some success in the running game. But then the big key in terms of does this running game explode on Sunday is going to be John Runyon Jr. and Josh Myers, in my mind. And it's going to be the question of do they even out those bad plays and keep the good plays? And 
John Range Jr., to a lesser degree, you usually know what you're going to get from him, but sometimes there's inconsistencies. He's okay. He's solid. Josh Myers is the epitome of that. Sometimes there's really great plays. Sometimes there's really crappy plays. And if the run game is going to take off, Josh Myers needs to play better. There was a play I was watching on film where, and actually I think it's, I think it's all over Twitter. He just got bowled backwards so badly that Aaron Jones had no chance to make his first cut and tripped. But like before he could make his first cut, he tripped because Myers was blown off the ball, basically blown backwards into Aaron Jones. And the play was doomed from the start. That's the type of stuff that we really can't have happen. And Josh Myers, I'm going to need you to start straightening that out. So that's the deal there. That's my first offensive key. It's about running the ball because we don't really want that ball in Jordan's hands. And if they're able to run the ball, it's going to keep Atlanta's defense at bay. Now to run the ball, they're going to need to rely on that offensive line and let's see if let's see if they can do it. The second offensive key, find your playmakers. And I said it, I've said it, I mean a bunch of times at this point from everything that Atlanta put on film last week, their defense is going to make life hard on opposing quarterbacks by mixing and disguising their looks. The easiest way to deal with this is a quarterback. Now, you can hand it off. I just talked about that. But let's say you have to throw it. The easiest way to deal with that is to find the easy outs. Trust what you're seeing and take the quick outs and force Atlanta to tackle your playmakers. And I said last week, hey, Green Bay, you're going to need explosives, and those are going to be hard to come by without Christian. Well, guess what? They found those explosives in Aaron Jones. Screen pass, no problem, 50-yard gain. Seven-yard pass from Love on an angle route, 35-yard touchdown. That's the definition of explosive. And they both came from plays where nothing complex happened. Now, you could argue, I mean, maybe Atlanta could somehow, you know, draw up a man coverage play where Jordan Love wouldn't have been able to hit Aaron Jones on that angle route. I tend to doubt it. But the screen pass especially, I mean, there's nothing schematic that Chicago could really do from that point. The The play basically comes down to you have to tackle Aaron Jones, and they couldn't do it until Aaron Jones got within their five. This week, however... Those explosives are going to be even harder to come by. I said last week, hey, explosives, they're going to be hard to come by because guess what? Watson, he's out. It's going to have to come through Aaron Jones. Well, they came through Aaron Jones last week, but this week, chance Aaron Jones and Watson both don't play. And that's where Green Bay's top two and at this point, two top playmaking rookies need to get involved. And that's Luke Musgrave and Jaden Reed. And they're going to need to get the ball. Quick play action, leak play. The the play that Musgrave got wide open for, for about 45 yards last week. Let's see some more of that. Jaden Reed, get him involved in every freaking way possible. Jet sweeps, pitch, like pop passes, wide receiver screens, other plays to take advantage of his speed. I don't care. Get those guys the football. And keep in mind, these guys don't exactly have to do it by themselves. Matt kind of says, you know, I don't know what you mean by that when you ask him about running his offense. At least that was sort of his response back in the offseason. But now we're getting to the regular season. Packers were fifth in percentage of plays with motion, up 10% from their 2022 average. They were behind only elite offenses like the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Dolphins. As, as I go back and watch the Bears game, I realize how helpful that motion was was there was one play Jaden Reed he was the the wide receiver one or the 
the the number one wide receiver. So basically, he's the furthest outside. And then just inside of him on the left side was Dontavian Wicks. Reed, he was motioned inside of Wicks. So Wicks became the number one, the guy on the outside. And Reed was inside of him. And then Love snapped the ball as, like, you know, a couple steps after Reed got inside of Wicks. And that switch release made Jaden Reed become super available on that play, got wide open on the sideline, Love hit him for a big-time third-and-eight pickup. Matt, basically where I'm going with that is that Matt can use his motion, use his wacky formations to get the ball to these playmakers without forcing them to do too much. We're not relying on Musgrave to go out there and beat Travis Kelsey with his route running. Use the motion, use your schematic genius to get the ball to Reed and Musgrave and then let them rumble after the catch. And that's going to be a big time key. It's going to come down to, hey, Watson and Jones, maybe they're both not playing. Matt, a lot of this is going to fall on your shoulders in terms of finding ways to make this offense productive and explosive. And now the last offensive thing I want to touch on, it doesn't really fit into an offensive note, but I just want to talk about these two guys, Romeo Dobbs and Octavion Wicks. I touched on Dobbs after Sunday's game. I just want to reiterate, he and Watson are going to be absolutely dominant. I mean, Romeo Dobbs does legitimately everything you want a top wide receiver to do. He jumps over people. He's a damn good route runner. And he and Watson together are going to be such a lethal pairing. But more importantly, not more importantly, more interesting is perhaps talking about Dontavion Wicks. Because check the tape. He was open a lot. And... You know, Dobbs was on on a pitch count last week. Watson was out. The result was that Dontavion Wicks got the most snaps. So that kind of tells you how the Packers feel about Wicks. And I mean, if I had to guess the depth chart at this point from a wide receiver standpoint, I'd say Watson and Dobbs, you're clear one and two. Reed is your slot guy. But then it's Dontavion Wicks as that next guy up, Malik Heath behind him, and then Samari Toure quite a bit behind both of those guys. So Dontavion Wicks. He's a guy, I'm not going to have him as my player to watch this week because, let's be honest, he's probably the third receiver on the field, assuming Dobbs plays and Reed plays. And if Musgrave, not Musgrave, if Watson plays, then Wicks becomes that fourth receiver on the field. But don't sleep on Dontavion Wicks. Keep an eye out for him because he was getting open a lot last week. So that's, that's the last offensive thing I wanted to touch on. But just to wrap up my playmaking sort of note, Reed and Musgrave are your playmakers. And you're going to need to get them the ball. And Matt is going to rely, I'm going to rely on you getting them the ball, finding ways to get them the ball, and then letting their playmaking take over. On the defensive side, the first key, stop the freaking run. The Falcons love, and I mean love, running the ball. And so did the Chicago Bears. But the Falcons love it even more. Arthur Smith, back in Tennessee, he was the coach that made Derrick Henry relevant and he did so through an emphasis of the run game he pounded pounded the ball in Tennessee and he was hired then by Atlanta to become their head coach carried that over and even with Atlanta's offensive line not being top tier Arthur Smith has continued to emphasize the running game year over year and even when they've been bad even when they've been you know bad to mediocre they've still had plenty of success and they're just gonna keep emphasizing the running game and you can see that in their draft history just this past draft the, Pal- the Falcons drafted Bijan Robinson he was a guy out of Texas who I said probably the best running back prospect out of college since Saquon Barkley and he looked like that 
in his NFL debut last week. He was incredibly dynamic, made people miss, ran over people, did all of that. So if Atlanta gets their way in this game, they'll gladly just run the ball over Green Bay, pound them into submission, and that is exactly why we need Green Bay to stand up. And they did a good job of that last week. Kenny, Devontae White, TJ Slayton, all three of those guys need to play like they did last week to stop the run. But then more importantly, Joe Barry, he's going to need to call plays like he did last week. And last year, during the bye, I talked about what went wrong with the Packers defense. And I looked at the Staley-Fangio system of defense and how Joe Barry was failing to implement it. And I don't want to run through all of that in a lot of detail again, but the basics were... In the Fangio Staley system, you have a lighter box. You play more nickel. So you put six guys in the box. You rush four guys. You usually have, you know, two middle linebackers. And then you have five defensive backs, usually two safeties, three cornerbacks to defend the pass. Now, this lighter box, 5 DB look, makes it easier to defend the pass. So those explosive plays, you turn those down and you say, hey, you're going to have to beat us by you know, slowly going up the field. In general, it's going to be tough to pass on the defense. And that was true of Joe Barry's defense last year. They were a good third down defense because, especially in third and long, they were able to just, you know, play with their five DBs and shut people down. But to end up getting offenses into passing situations, you need to scheme up ways of stopping the run. And that's what Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio did so well, they did it through things like bear fronts. Joe Barry didn't do any of that. So what he was doing was he was still doing the same stuff from a formation standpoint. Six guys in the box, nickel, five DBs, right? Let's defend the pass, no explosive plays. But he wasn't actually forcing the offense to ever get into these passing downs. He just said, you can run it. And the offenses did run it, and they ran it all over the Packers. Then, super interesting. I think it was Rasul Douglas that told us about it. He said at the end of last year, I know after the players all had their individual exit meetings, all of that, Joe Barry got the defense together and he basically opened the floor and said, give me all of the feedback. And on the whole, the feedback was let's be more aggressive. And we're starting to see some of that in terms of what Joe Barry's doing with the defensive front. He is moving guys around on the line. He's using stunts where... You know, if you have a, a defensive tackle on the inside, edge rusher on the outside, after the snap, those two flip spots. So the edge rusher starts rushing from the inside, defensive tackle from the outside. He uses all of those twists, stunts, all of that, none of which he did last year, to get pressure and force, force offenses to actually beat them with the run and beat not only, you know, these players who are playing these standard roles, beat Joe Barry as a guy who's scheming things up as well. And that's something we did not see at all last year. And that is one of the more fascinating things about what we saw in week one. And it's not just Packers fans that are noticing it. Mina Kynes, a top NFL analyst for ESPN, she pointed out how Green Bay's week one game versus Chicago had the most defensive line movement that she could recall from a Green Bay defensive line. And if Barry keeps with that, if he keeps putting guys like Kenny and Wyatt in a position to excel and then lets their athleticism take over, says, not only am I going to let your athleticism take over, I'm going to first put you in an advantageous position and then let you take over, you better believe that the Packers can continue to have some success versus the run. And 
hopefully that will at least somewhat alleviate that running threat from Atlanta. And if they can do that, that's going to be critical to winning this game because it means the Packers aren't going to just get pounded into the ground. And then the second defensive key I have is pass rush dominance. So let's say the defense stops the run. Well, you still got to deal with Desmond Ritter. And yes, admittedly, Desmond Ritter has less than a year's worth of starting experience. But in each of his starts, he's just consistently gotten better. He's just consistently improving as a passer. Okay, maybe you're a little bit scared, but the easiest way to stop young quarterbacks, get pressure on him. And last week, Atlanta's offensive line was getting whooped by Brian Burns alone. With that, like Carolina's lone edge rusher, Brian Burns, I guess Derek Brown to a degree, those two were whooping Atlanta's offensive line. Now, with Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, J.G. Nagbari, Preston Smith, hell, even Justin Hollins coming to town on the edge, man, that Atlanta's offensive line is going to have their work cut out for them. Gary, he's the first guy we'll talk about. He is far and away the biggest problem. And last week, he was on a pitch count, a pretty clear pitch count. Now, Matt LaFleur didn't confirm whether or not Gary will be on that same pitch count again this week. But last week, he was. He saw just 12 snaps. In those 12 snaps, he generated, according to Matt LaFleur, seven pressures. Now, you could quibble with that. You could say he generated five pressures. Either way, five to seven pressures in 12 snaps is ridiculously out of this world. And, I mean, I don't know what you can say at this point. Rashawn Gary, in his first game back from an ACL, seems like he got better. He was dominant, and I can't wait to watch that again this week against Atlanta. Another guy from the edge, Lucas Van Ness. Now, he did struggle a bit in the preseason, but he came in last week, collected five pressures. That's the second most for a rookie in week one behind only Jalen Carter, who pretty clearly, I talked about it in my you know season predictions episode, he's pretty clearly a defensive rookie of the year candidate. And by the way, edge isn't the only spot where those pressures can come from. Now, against Atlanta, or against Carolina, Brian Burns did a lot of the damage against Atlanta's offensive line. But Derek Brown for the Panthers, he also did plenty of damage against Atlanta's offensive line. And I expect to see some of that from guys like Kenny, Devontae White, hell, even Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden had four pressures last week. That's the fourth, that was the fourth most for a rookie in week one. Devontae Wyatt, he had five pressures. Seeing this defensive line just go to work and demolish an Atlanta offensive line that has struggled in pass pro is going to be super, super interesting. That's what I want to see, and I think that'll be ridiculously important when it comes to shutting down the Atlanta pass because you probably can't fully shut down their run game, but you can fully shut down their pass game if the defensive front goes as crazy as it did last week. And then with offensive notes out of the way, defensive notes out of the way, let's just touch on my players to watch. My offensive player to watch, Romeo Dobbs. Christian Watson might be out. Aaron Jones might be out. Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave, they're going to be getting the ball because of their dynamic playmaking, but they're still rookie. Romeo Dobbs is your number one guy. And at this point, I'm pretty confident in saying that him and Watson aren't going to be wide receiver one and wide receiver two. They're going to be 1A and 1B. And when you're 1B, which I think Romeo Dobbs is pretty damn close to, your job is to step up to that 1A spot when 1A is out. And just like last week, that's exactly what I expect Romeo Dobbs to do. He's going to get more snaps because he's a, he's a week more recovered from his hamstring injury. And I cannot wait for him to go out and be getting those 
big time targets because he can do everything. He can moss guys. We saw it last week in the end zone. He can tear up people, people's ankles. We saw him do it to Eddie Jackson. He can take two steps, hit a slant, and then dive forward for a first down. He can legitimately do every single thing that you want him to do at the wide receiver spot. And I love having him on the Packers. And I'm so excited to see what he does this week. My other guy to watch, Devontae Wyatt. He was mauling last week. I, I mean, Devontae Wyatt has been talked about plenty on Twitter, and I still am not convinced he's getting talked about enough. We saw flashes last year from Wyatt, but my God, he never put anything together like he put together in week one. He had six pressures on Sunday. He had just eight in total in 2022. He was embarrassing the Bears offensive linemen, embarrassing them with quickness, with his hands, with his power, everything. He's going to be a massive part of them both stopping the run and getting after Ritter in the pass game this week. And I cannot wait to watch Devontae Wyatt. So Romeo Dobbs and Devontae Wyatt, those are my two players to watch. That's what I have for you today. Again, when I come back, the Green Bay Packers are going to have finished up their game against the Atlanta Falcons. But until then, that is what I have for you. Remember, we're still so lucky to be able to watch Packers football. This team is exciting. This team is young. This team is fun. And that is something that should never, ever be taken for granted. So enjoy this weekend of football. But until then, go Pack, go. Go.